A few notes before we begin. This podcast includes conversations about the harms of colonization, including discussions of the residential school system, the ongoing discovery of unmarked gravesites, the African slave trade, and slavery. It also includes conversations about the history and current day impacts of racism on the health of Black and Indigenous communities and individuals. Please, listen with care and care for yourself while listening. Additionally, please note that we're eager to showcase the experience, expertise, and wisdom of hosts. But also note and remember that their views and ideas may not always align with or reflect the views, policies, and governance of the Ontario AIDS Network. Welcome to Bundles of Medicine, a bold and brave learning tool that was created by Dr. Roberta Timothy and Janaray Yurksa in collaboration with the Ontario AIDS Network. For context, what follows is primarily a resource for individuals and teams working and volunteering within Ontario's community-based HIV sector. It includes several broadcast discussions and a workbook to guide individuals and groups through a process of reflection and learning. To be clear, Bundles of Medicine is a response to our sector's need to create space, support, and deepen the work that AIDS service organizations across Ontario are doing to address and navigate anti-Black and anti-Indigenous racism. Before we get re-engaged, a quick word on the preceding voices and authors of this effort. Janare Yurksa, MSW, MA, is Anishinaabe from Kochiching, First Nation, in Treaty No. 3 Territory. Among other things, she's an advocate, educator, writer, and poet whose work is grounded in Indigenous feminism and decolonial frameworks. Dr. Roberto Timothy is an assistant professor at the teaching stream at the Dalalana School of Public Health, University of Toronto. Dr. Timothy is the inaugural director of U of T's Masters of Public Health in Black Health degree program, launching in the fall of 2023. Up next, we will dive into centering Black Indigenous well-being and liberation. The following may be used to help frame that mindset. How can you support the well-being and liberation of African and Indigenous peoples in your leadership role? Why is resistance important for Indigenous and Black communities living and impacted by HIV? How can your role as a leader support resistance? The whole point, like even in you know, early 2000s, late 90s, depending on where you're looking. Um, and even now, the HIV sector has been dominated by, you know, white males, white gay males. And um, the leaders, we we know some of the leaders in our communities, but there's also leaders who don't have names, right? There's leaders, and they do have names. We know their names, but people don't know their names. It's just individual and community leaders. But we have to look outside of an HIV sector. Like, HIV should be in every health issue health area and every chronic health discussion so i've always like argued and sometimes even absolutely right yes right so even within our communities like i've argued in in terms of you know black and indigenous communities and i can talk about the black community about like hiv bringing hiv outside it can't just be trapped because if we're trapped in the hiv and i say trapped i'm not (laughs) hiv sector then other folks are going to be like well you know 
it's it's over there that you got to deal with it. The HIV community has to deal with it. What, what's the HIV community? We're all a part of, of the HIV community. We've all have been impacted, affected, right, by um, right. HIV. So if we're not thinking outside of that, even in terms of how we do our um, anti-oppression or decolonizing work, you know, we have to bring it outside of the HIV sector, which is very um, insular, very white male, gay dominated. Um, yet we have always been here. We've always been in the community, we're always doing we're doing the work, so we have to broaden our our, our notion. I think that's really critical, and I, I I I think every other health sector needs to be accountable for how they're treating you know Black, Indigenous, and purposely um, marginalized people who are living with HIV, impacted or affected by HIV. How are you doing the work? And that's going to challenge and stop the the hospital visits that people are you know dealing with HIV stigma anti-Black racism, anti-Indigenous racism, and all the other health violence that happens for our community members. We have to bring it outside. And, and what's the responsibility and accountability for other health sectors to take it up and to be responsible for the cure and wellness of our community members who are living or affected or impacted with HIV. So that's, I think, a really important uh, thing that needs to happen. Yeah, like when you talk about all that, you, like in when we talk about within the HIV sector, um, who is holding um, the power, the control, uh, white gay men. Yeah. Um, and then how our own communities, I guess, silo our own people that are living with HIV. Yeah. So it, it's interesting, like how our communities really need to engage in like decolonization work and not create these like false separateness these narratives, right? Because when I think about HIV, we are talking about our bodies. 100%. We're talking about relationships. We're talking about wellness. Yeah. It's all of these things that I think people are not understanding and making the connections, like why you create, why, why there are these false separatist narratives. Hundred yeah. percent. I think I think white supremacy caters to that, right? Uh, we mm -hmm. talked. We were talking about last week or whenever we were talking, and you know, I'm not saying that white gay men who are living with HIV um, are not important. What I'm saying is that they need to walk in solidarity, you know, and be accountable for white supremacy and the benefits of white supremacy by supporting, uh, you know, an indigenous African led um, process for really doing decolonizing work in the HIV sector. And I would say in the, in the, in the health sector in general. The and I have, night. and I do know a couple of, a couple of very, not a lot of, you know, white uh, male gay men who are, who are doing the work, but most are not. Mm. And that has to do with their, their entitlement and their unearned privileges and benefits from white supremacy. Yeah. So I guess like uh, racism definitely can infiltrate like our different intersecting identities even 100%. if we are experiencing uh, marginalization and oppression in other areas just like sexism right. like yeah. you know we can we can also talk about sexism within the black and indigenous communities it's just something mm -hmm. inherent to colonization but and you know white supremacy but it impacts our lives as black well, women and indigenous how, women yeah how our own men or even i would say our own women 100%. patriarchy yeah okay so this <laughs> that is the podcast four but we're recording it all okay yeah. um 
Yeah. So uh, today, you know, talking about uh, addressing white supremacy in our in our organizations. What does that look like? How do we do it? How do we do it? Is I mean, I, uh, important. It's a question. Totally. And I think you know, I there's a question of why do we need to dismantle and resist against you know all forms of anti anti black uh, racism, anti indigenous racism, other forms of violence. Today? Like, why do we actually have to do this? I think there's a there's a question. I mean, we kind of think like, well, why is that question? We kind of like, we're living in a colonial society, colonial world, but I think it's important for people to look at. And what do you need and how can you address white supremacy, you know, in yourself and in your organization? Um, there's, there's many different things I think need to happen in terms of that unlearning process. I think that hopefully our, our conversation will look at, you know, to learn the importance of addressing anti-Black racism and anti-Indigenous racism in a meaningful way within your organization and within yourself to unlearn and learn how to intentionally challenge power structures that uphold white supremacy and colonialist models, to reflect on the historical and current day impact of colonial practices and white supremacy in the lives of African, black and indigenous communities, and to unpack the importance of decolonizing white supremacy in HIV focused agencies and in the HIV sector to really deal with supporting PHAs and HIV prevalence levels. Like how are we actually gonna do this is really to have a conversation like this. Mm. Those are some of the things I think we will be trying to, to look at today, among others. Absolutely. Like I think, um, you know, when I think about social determinants of health, I think about um, for the Indigenous community, um, how anti-Indigenous racism really impacts our health, impacts our well-being, which yeah. is rooted in the history, right, of colonization. And so, you know, in our conversations, we always seem to come back to this unlearning process. Yeah. And I think the other thing is like, we're talking about addressing uh, white supremacy or anti-Indigenous and anti-Black racisms in the workplace. And definitely organizations need to take a systemic approach to this and support employees in doing this work. And yet at the same time, it sits like right at that intersection of personal and professional. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, and so I think that's why I know for me and, and even in our conversations, we always come back to this unlearning, which is the personal part because it has to do with like our beliefs, our identities and how we carry ourselves. Yeah. So it it's, it's, you know, and I, and I think it, it has to do with our identity and it has to do with our beliefs, which is so important because of your actions, right? That, then it influences your actions. And it's a, it's a matter of life and death for our community members. Like when we're talking about black indigenous community members, we're, we're not talking about, like, we're not talking about doing anti-violence work or resisting, you know, white supremacy or doing decolonizing work just because you got nothing else to do, right? It's, it's like, we are, we have, uh, we come from communities that are constantly in in war, like constantly being um, violated, right? And and we look at our health rates in, in so many different places and spaces. And we know within this conversation, HIV, but I think it's totally connected to all other chronic health disorders and also uh, mental health issues. You know, the impact of continued colonial violence is detrimental. It we don't have any other choice but to talk about it and to dismantle it and to. To, to try to actualize change because our people are dying. That's it, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? So why do you why do we need to talk about um, you know 
violence within the HIV community or decolonize our HIV our practice uh, because it's a matter of life and death for our community members, our peoples. Right? right, straight, straight, straight to the point. And wh white supremacy continues in your organizations continues to harm our community members and harm us. Don't matter how many, how many, how many pieces of papers we get. Don't matter how many jobs we have. Don't matter how much, you know, we're we're doing because we're we are, you know, we're we're constantly living in resistance. But it is a constant state of war. And I think sometimes that is not understood or not, um, you know, not something that people want to address. So I think, you know, addressing white supremacy in the agency, be accountable for your past and current experience of white supremacy and racism in your agency. We talked about in yourself and prepare for the future change you want to see. What do you want to do differently? Right? Mm -hmm. Admit when you and or your agency did or do racist things and made decisions based on racism. There's a legacy of culture in your agencies and organizations living in a white supremacist society. You've, you've done stuff. It, it's a fact. What have you what have you done and what can you do differently and how can you make decisions differently? Right. And to do that, you need to develop a thorough, a thorough strategic plan on how your agency plans to decolonize its practices, just like you, you strategically plan on everything else in your organization. What is your decolonizing strategic plan in terms of practices and, and implementation in terms of anti-oppression uh, praxis? What are your you know, executable strategies and resources for its success? Because if you have a plan that has no implementation processes, no money, no resources, no strategy for success, guess what? It ain't gonna work. So what's your commitment and show that? That's right. So like you're touching on like a lot of really important things uh, that I've been thinking about as well. Like, so you're, you're highlighting the structure of it all. And then also the learning and the unlearning and being strategic in our approaches. Yeah. Right. And so I'm even thinking about like language. So because language critical is like language is powerful, right? Like language okay. creates, like words create worlds. And so I'm thinking about, you know, how we've been asked to assist in creating resources to help organizations become anti-racist. Right. And here we are today and we're talking about white supremacy. And yeah. so I just kind of want to unpack that a little bit because I find sometimes society can be more comfortable with terminology like anti-racism work, right? Yeah. And, um, and, and I think there's so many myths around racism, right? Like uh, only bad people are racist. Um, I mean, I mean, and that's a whole other thing, but right. I find that sometimes anti-racism work is situated in a false way as well. Like, um, where it's kind of like this white liberal racism, where we're going to be good friends and good friends with you without, um, addressing the white supremacy. And I know we've talked about like uh, white racially controlled environments 
where we're only talking about black indigenous and people of color without talking about whiteness without talking about white supremacy and so for me like in my own learning process I have found it absolutely necessary in doing this type of work if we're going to put it under anti-racism work to talk about white supremacy rather than racisms like you know this continuing this this continuum of language I guess yeah see I I I I have I think that anti-racism and the work from it is really important because it comes from black black indigenous folks racialized folks so I think anti-racism is important to talk about because we have, you know, for many, 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 many uh, moons have talked about it. And I think what you're talking about is it how it hasn't been co-optated. Yes, it has. I mean, we could say that about decolonization too, the way it's mm-hmm. and intersectionality, the way these words are being used. But I think when That's we know right. the histories and histories of these, these um, practices, which are rooted in, you know, anti-colonial, decolonial, decolonial, framework and practices, then we have to utilize them, but we utilize them with the histories and universities that we know, which is not present in our current uh, mainstream um, practices. And what I mean by that, even I would say that, I would actually argue HIV does not talk about racism and anti-racism. We talk about diversity, equity, and inclusivity, or whatever, DEI, that everybody's talking about. And that anti-racism is still a very difficult word for people to say. So I wouldn't throw out anti-racism, particularly uh, based on the legacy and, and what it means for um, you know, African Indigenous people. And, um, but I would say that it has to be talked about in the context of a framework of white supremacy and colonization. Absolutely. Yes. Right. Yes. And that's different. That's different uh, in, you know, in terms of wh- how it's being used. And yeah, other white liberals, you know, talking about anti racism. Yes. And I, they're getting, they're getting more dollars than you and I, I'll tell you that. Um, and are people, you know, do people get like nervous about white supremacy? Yeah, and guess you should you should get nervous about a system that it's killed and continues to to harm you know African Indigenous people. Yeah, it's it's something that it's violence we're talking about. This brutality. It don't feel nice. It don't sound nice. And guess what? When you're experiencing it, it's hell. So yeah, um, I think that white supremacy needs to always be in the conversation of anti-racism and anti-oppression. And just like decolonization, always needs to talk about the impact of racism, the different racisms on our communities. Like, I, I think it, it can't be necessarily separated, but it doesn't need to be, um, to be, uh, you know, to be only utilized as this kind of umbrella of, um, you know, we want people to think differently about, about race. Actually, like, I, 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 that's not my, that's not my, my, my thing is not, I thought you want people to think differently about race. My thing is that I want people to not to violate me based on my race and based on who, I am and and what this this country and what this uh, you know the myth of Canada what Canada and, and the world has done in terms of a colonial the colonial violence experienced by my people. So it's more than just can we I don't want I don't want you to think about my I actually want you to know about my race. I want you to look at when I come in the room. I want you to think about what is my experience as a black woman, you know. And I want you to think about folks um, in the HIV sector. What is what are what are what are black you know folks experience of HIV, uh, HIV and anti-black racism and all the other intersectional violence when they come in the room. So yes, um, taking that space and 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 being present and allowing our voices to be present 
is really critical if that makes if that makes sense. It does. Um, I like when you talk about like what is it like for you as a black woman living in this world or if you have HIV and you're black if you're indigenous um, and have HIV um, and how how that is directly linked like I guess I ran into so many instances where folks want to be anti-racist and their anti-racism practice is completely disconnected from um, decolonial work. 100%. Not to talk about colonization. And yeah. so, which, which leads me to think about how you could be anti-racist and that doesn't mean that you are any less harmful towards indigenous people. You, 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 can't be, you can't be anti-racist. You can't be anti- if, if you are anti-racist and you're not talking about colonization, which is a system that not only breeds, but continues to, to, to create racism, right? Racial, race, racist violence, not racial violence, but racist violence, um, then your, your analysis is off. So I, I, yeah, you cannot be an anti-racist without dealing with decolonization, um, with colonization, colonial violence, with indigenous communities locally and globally. You can't, and that and that is the that is the problem that we're seeing. And I, I, I totally, I'm there with you. I just don't want to throw out all of the work that anti-racists have done, particularly the ones which which is the where I grew from that have always been connected to decolonizing and um you know and and dealing with white supremacy. So so I think we're we're clear that we are on the same page. But I don't want to throw anti-racist. But I want to challenge oneself that you're not anti-racist if you're not doing decolonizing work. Are addressing anti-indigenous racism, anti uh, anti-black racism. That is not doing anti-racism work. That's yeah. kind of where, where I'm at. Yeah. And that's yeah, what I've been guess, challenging. Well, I guess like I find that a lot of a lot of the work that I've read, like with indigenous people, yeah, are really focused on like the decolonial aspects of things and sovereignty. Yeah. And um and and bring in the frameworks of white supremacy, right? Yeah. yeah. And you know, and there's been stuff with the indigenous and black community. So, you know, in terms of um, this conversation, so even indigeneity in terms of African indigeneity and what does that mean? I, I've also talked to talk, spoke to some indigenous folks who are really doing some amazing work, but they've said, I'm not interested in black health. I'm not interested in, you know, black indigenous people. Now that to me, is very similar to you know black folks who say you know what I'm I'm not interested in indigenous health and community I got I got to deal with my own community I understand that we are are communities that are both you know dealing with massive types of violence and brutality but that type of thinking and practice from both uh, groups who do that and as, as I said it's not everybody but there's a big population who do that actually creates the same uh, white supremacist notion of self and community right it, it does not. It divides a, a movement of solidarity, which would be stronger, resisting against white supremacy together, even though we have differences and we come from different ways, right? Than than doing it, um, you know, in our own pockets. I have to talk about indigenous communities in this land to do resisting anti-black racism work. It's, it's a must to do decolonizing work. And I believe it is the same or should be the same differently, but the same that black 
and, and African indigenous people need to be addressed in addressing anti-indigenous racism and indigenous wellness work in this land because we are intrinsically connected. That's right. Right. And, and, and this is why talking with you and, you know, moving through is so important. It doesn't mean that we give up, you know, I, I'm giving up my black you know, I can't talk about black. No, it's about strengthening the solidarity, understanding that even though there are, are, are differences in our colonial experience, that colonization and white supremacy have us both our groups, you know, um, and, and there's many of us and we're all diverse and, you know, we're, we're heterogeneous, like let's not even, you know, you know, forget that, but have our groups hostage. We, you know, white supremacy has us hostage and we have to, we're almost even running for resources from little resources that we have and, and also dealing with internalized white supremacy and in, in different ways, I would say, um, anti-black racism, anti-indigenous racism in our own community members, right? Like, so people will say, no, this is a, a black thing or this is an indigenous thing. I'm not saying that we don't need those moments and those spaces, but we gotta be really careful when you're, when you're, when you're not talking about, you know, um, uh, 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 talking about the importance of how colonization is playing, playing with us playing with us and setting us almost almost in some ways to to par. And I I am not from that movement. I'm from a movement of indigenous solidarity. Is it these are difficulties, these are critical um, times when we have challenges 100 percent But is there beauty, is there amazingness, is there fierceness? Yes. Is it stronger? Of course it is. Right. And that's it's a it's it's important in the HIV sector because I see it when you know the white white power <laughs> gives the little resources for the black HIV, the indigenous HIV, and kind of gets you to, you know, scramble around. I'm sorry, but that's what I, that's how I see it. Um, we also have to start saying, we, we want to work in solidarity and we need, we need to do this in different ways. And this is how the solidarity is going to look like. And that's going to be something that I actually can't even say. I can, I can, you know, talk about my own experiences, but that's something we need to figure out together. And it's happening. It does happen. I mean, it happens even in my own you know, my own household, um, mm -hmm. it happens. So it's like, I don't know, it, it's such an important piece, I think, when we think about the organizational change, not to also create these silos of, you know, I have a, a, a Black group, I have an Indigenous group. What is your decolonizing group? What is your decolonizing implementation plan? That's so, yeah, like, I mean, yeah, so if we are talking about anti-racism, we definitely need to talk about white supremacy, and we need to understand colonialism and decolonization. Yeah. And Which we need to understand the indigenous peoples of this land and the indigenous peoples of other lands. Why yeah. am I not speaking Mohawk? Why am I not speaking Cree? Why am I not speaking all of the indigenous languages? Want to talk about doing something differently? Have a, have a language program. I mean, like, I don't know. I just find that these things are so simple to me. Like, how am I, why am I in this country, in this land, and am I continuing to speak English? Is there programs that offer, you know, Indigenous language is even in, in terms of the HIV sector? That piece is, is solidarity. Mm. Like, there's people who, who need to learn our language. I don't know my, my African traditional languages. It's something that I'm trying to teach. There's, like, millions of them. But what are, what, what's, what's something that we can do in, in this place? Because the language is important, and you're bringing up language, and I, I think about, you know, a, a poem that I wrote about my tongue being tied, and I'm and just, um, or tongue being cut, actually, you know, the importance of that language, there's language in, in terms of the Indigenous language, but there's language of the language of colonization or decolonization. What languages are we speaking in the sector? Is that, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I'm getting that when I hear your anti-racist thing. I'm like, I've heard it many a times, and I've also heard so many different 
um, notions because I've gone to different spaces where I'm like, okay, I am an anti-racist, decolonizing, you know, uh, person. And yet there's so many different ways of of how that, 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 what that means for people. Well, I guess like, I guess when we're talking about anti-racism and we talk about like how it's talked about in mainstream, I've always found that it falls short of what's going to be helpful for, for me. Yeah. You know, uh, because it often is like disconnected, divorced from even, I guess, uh, like settler colonial realities. Right. Um, which goes to like uh, the important, like we're talking about learning, unlearning, relearning, um, like the importance of learning about history, right? So these are things that I think organizations could find helpful is like learning about history, like anti-racism work demands that we critically reflect on ourselves. Like how do we see ourselves as racialized and how do we see others as racialized? Because like in a settler colonial state, white racialized bodies are valued over black indigenous and people of color, right? So um, everyone will be at different starting places for doing the anti-racism work. But when it comes to history and understanding ourselves and our various like intersecting identities, yeah. we must understand how our, how our identities were socially constructed and for what purpose when it comes to racialization, right? Right. Yeah. I, I mean, racialization, like the word, like I, I utilize it and I also critique it just like marginalization. I mean, like, so which notion are we racialized to who? To whiteness, to otherness? Are we marginalized in what? Like, uh, um, you know, how much, how many millions of uh, indigenous people are global? And how many, I, I don't, for African people, as I'll tell you, there's over, you know, 1 billion, um, 200 million peoples in the world of African um ancestry. Uh, so when you look at the 1 million here and you look at the whole, the whole, you know, I think about like the little places that I come from, I mean, that has to, it totally has to do with colonization. So yeah, we have to, the history and her we are critical, but guess what? That's what they want to not um, have people know. That's the unknown, right? They keep on saying, oh, it's been, it's been 400 years ago, 400 years ago. And my name is, my last name is Timothy. You understand it? So I have been I've been, you know, over 400 years of dealing with colonial brutality, you know, 400 years and I speak English and Creole in my family. That, that's, that tells you the history of the brutality of colonization. So when, back to the anti-racism thing, because I'm an African storyteller, I gotta go back again. Um, how can anti-racism not deal with the impact of colonial violence is, is, is something that um, is not anti-racism. That's all. I, I just want to go back to that again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm yeah. glad you are because I know for me, like it comes down to language yeah. and like the words that we're using and being critical of the words that we're using, how these words, yes, get co-opted. So critically reflecting on like what we mean with the terms that we're using. 100%. For me, when people come at it and, and want to talk about anti-racism right away I'm wondering does your analysis include like a a critique of settler colonialism you know and, yeah. and that's why definitions are important you know I usually start like I'm a definition girl I'm a definition I when you say something I I have no idea what you're saying because people say words they say it all the time I always when I present something 
I'm always saying this is what my this is what my definition is or a definition of how I feel. Because sometimes it's three definitions for one word. And I I I think it's such a it's a locating thing. When you locate yourself, right? You locate who you are, your political thoughts, your identity, etc. You also need to locate your definitions. It's something that's critical, to, and that doesn't happen in HIV sector. It doesn't happen in most of the community of the health communities. Words are being used without the definition. I mean, I spent a lot of time even um, even you know talking about that in my in my, um, my my doctoral work, which comes from the, the community, because I was tired of people saying all these words. You know, I'm an anti-oppression practitioner. I'm a who he ha hey. And when I talked to you, I felt like daggers and felt like enough violence. You know, racist violence, some sexist violence, some classic, but you know, ableist. Like we can continue on. I'm like, you are you're a practitioner of what? So how you define it is the, the most critical piece, and that's why um, I think we could we could do a whole thing on language. You know, um, and maybe because I don't have my my languages. You know, I I'm 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 talking in stolen tongue. I talk with stolen tongue on a daily basis, and, and that's a that's a painful reality. And in organizations, when we're talking about how do we do you know, decolonizing work, we have to talk about language and tongue, the tongue, what, what we're given and what we were not given, what was taken away as a part of a part of the work. There's such a, uh, uh, the healing and wellness that needs to be done regarding that is so important, even to the, the, the physical healing that we will do, you know, in terms of uh, chronic illness or the impact of, you know, all of these, these violence, but we, we got to talk about the, the, the impact of language and, and linguistic violence and how, how it's even how, how they even talk about it, you know, even the way that we're talked about in the HIV sector, you know, as, as bringing disease, you know, or, or, or as, as something that is like, oh, oh my God, it's so amazing how, you, how resilient you are. Mm. That is such a violent thing to say to people who are constantly, you know, dealing with the impact of colonization and white supremacy. So want to talk about a change? Change that. Change your yeah, responses like it, and your reactions. It it also absolves, like it erases, like to say you are resilient, it erases the relationship, the oppressive relationship. Yeah. Of, it absolves the the other part, right? 100%. It's how much shit can you take? The focus is like, <laughs> how well can I do under all this oppressive reality, right? You can take it's everything from me, me, right? Yeah. 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 And we have taken the HIV sector has like, they ran with that resilience. Everything's resilient, resilient, resilient. Which again and goes back to language, right? hundred so, percent. So it's, yes. Right. Like within our, I don't want to be that resilient. Yeah. I don't want to have to be that resilient. I don't want to have to struggle my entire life and our, you know, our, our community struggle like, like this. That's, that's not fun. Mm -hmm. That's violent. I don't want to have to, I have to always constantly, you know, even when I when I um, think about talking to people, you know, in my in a project I that I did, I talked to, to a lot of people of African ancestry living with HIV, and the stories of the the violence within the hospital system. You know, and this is not like this is not like 1985, which we know, you know, there was a whole history there when you know HIV and, and AIDS was um, was uh, the beginnings, you know, before the um, before all of the other changes, this is like, I'm talking about right now that people are, you know, still being, their identities are being, um, uh, they're, you know, they're being talked about in the, the hospital aisles, their information, their, their health information. 
they're being treated with with disdain and with uh, you know all these different things. So it, it is something that happens right now, and it, it's something that we have to to continue to do. So when you're thinking about how to do this work in your organization, like I, it's almost like a, can I say this? Like stop bullshitting. <laughs> Better way. Kate might need to erase this, but it's, I mean, why can't we be real? Like, stop bullshitting with people. Do you want to do this work or not? Like, I guess is- that, that is it, right? <laughs> like, okay. I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to create a checklist here, right? But it's like, yeah. really, like, yeah, do you, do you really want to do this work? And also, like for administration, yes, right? Like, do you really want to do this work? Because you're going to have to lead it yeah. in, in a very systemic way. So I think yeah. the other part is like knowing, like I, I'm keep, I'm going to keep going back to this unlearning and these myths, right? Because yeah. um, it's so important to recognize that the racisms that we experience are very systemic. Yeah. They're deeply rooted, deeply structured. And our organizations, whatever organization is like a microcosm of society. So then if you want, if you are saying you want to do anti-racism work within your organization and you want to lead that work, then definitely, um, because you, you understand that the work is systemic, then you're going to need to be systemic in your approaches. So let's, Let's talk about that. So what what would be some places to to start? Well, I mean, there's there's so many different places I think in place and you know things. I think even in terms of like learning and creating programs, right? And that supports and challenges challenges the the housing, education, employment, penal health, child welfare, insecurities, and apartheid that exist within Canada. For Indigenous and African Black communities, there's the systemic pieces need to be challenged. You need a completed anti-oppression audit for your organization. You need to mm-hmm. look at what's going on, what you're doing, what you're not doing. You need to complete mental health yeah. training from an anti-oppression lens. Mental health is really critical in terms of the impact of these violences on our communities. And how are you, what model and what approach are you dealing with in terms of wellness for our communities? We need to assist Black and Indigenous staff and management with their educational pursuits. I'm not talking about only university degrees, but yes, there's folks who want to get university degrees, but it could be other methods and other, um, you know, traditional uh, wellness um, pieces that they that, that you need resources to support to actually create changes to really decolonize the, the notions of wellness. We need to create funds that are culturally specific based on the triple burdens of Black and Indigenous communities face. We not not no little you know grant that doesn't move anything you need to you need to look at like main you know focuses of funding main sources of funding to actually do this work you also need to support and hold up black and indigenous leaders and agencies with resources and solidarity actions so the hiv agencies that are led by you know indigenous and african peoples right now they need to be supported they need to be resources and they need to be more than one you know we have these one agencies or these two agencies that are doing like tremendous work with little resources, and it's always like that. Oh, you're you're being resilient. They need to be in 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 positions of power where they can actually do the work in in particular particular ways. I want to add just a couple of more things. We need to support Black and Indigenous-led researchers in the HIV community and researchers with consciousness and decolonizing lens, because we too have you know been um, 
drank the Kool-Aid of, of white supremacy or, or, or had to, to drink it. So we also have to, when we're talking about you know, Black and Indigenous-led researchers in the HIV, HIV community, we, we need folks who are also, we're talking about people, folks who are doing work to resist against decolonization, right? To, to uh, sorry, resist against colonization and to, to dismantle systems of oppression. We need to just deconstruct uh, massage noir and patriarchy in the HIV sector. We need to do your own personal work, deal with your unearned privileges and your white supremacy. You know, for black and indigenous folks, we need to deal with internalized white supremacy in safe and private ways. We need to have private conversations and safe conversations of how we've internalized white supremacy and how it's impacting our lives and our work and our organizational um, spaces. We need to support the true meaning of JIPA and MIPA by creating more opportunities and meaningful and greater involvement for Indigenous and African Black people living and resisting with HIV. Now stop talking the talk, but actually, you know, um, allow folks to, to, to do meaningful work who are um, impacted by HIV. And we need to indicate your commitment to causing less or no harm to African Black and Indigenous people living and resisting with HIV. And this is not about just like, you know, a, a statement on anti-Black racism against it or a statement against anti-Indigenous racism. Like, what are you doing to not cause harm to us and to our communities? Those are some things that, I, that I'd like to share. Okay, well, now I'll jump in here. Because <laughs> you got me thinking, <laughs> like you, you've actually touched on some of the things that I was thinking about. So I'm going to go back to, you know, when you were talking about um, like auditing your organization and uh, yeah, right? Like auditing auditing your policies, right? Yeah. To see where your policies may be mar further marginalizing uh, Black, Indigenous, people of color, um, and how that and how that is further harmful, right? For our people living with HIV that are coming to your organization for yeah. services, right? Um, I really like too how you touched on um, like people from our communities that are working within the organization as well. Um, and, and how racism, how racism plays out, how white supremacy plays out, um, for like amongst employees, right? Um, because policies, like they help contribute to the organizational culture. So it impacts the way people within communicate or don't communicate with one another. And so, uh, when, when racism occurs, like, how do you address it when white supremacy is happening, right? Like we are, we've talked so much about what white supremacy is and, and what it looks like. And, and that's really important. And then the follow-up piece that is equally important is like, what do you do when it's happening? Yeah. So it, like helping um, your, your employees to understand how to respond when white supremacy is happening, but at the same time, then it goes back to checking themselves, right? Um, how do you how do how do you practice believing um, Black, Indigenous, and people of color? You know, when we name something, it, it you know, like what I have found is um, such an energy drainer. Is that like folks? when you go back, when you say like, do you really want to do this work? Right. Yeah. Folks will say like, no one will dispute that racism exists. 
until we name something racism. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, so well, true. they didn't mean that. Oh, gosh. You know, that yeah. really wasn't my intention. Yep. I didn't mean it that way. And so in those instances, like we need to recognize that that is a further perpetuation of racism, of white supremacy. And so, yeah, like going back to language and calling things for what they are, right? 100%. I mean, that is, that's, I mean, that's the piece, like, I think that's the, the most uh, hurtful piece when, you know, folks are like, yeah, I want to do anti-racism work. I want to do decolonizing work. And as soon as you say something and they feel hurt for that one second out of the, <laughs> the whatever, the conversation, then everything needs to stop. And, and, it, and, and that, then that person needs to be catered to. And it's usually somebody who doesn't come from our community. Not always. I mean, there's also, there's also the thing of not having a lot of us within leadership positions so that when you're there, folks are feeling like they have to just, they can say a little bit, but not say so, not so, so much. I, I mean, I don't, that's not my, me and that's not you as we know, and maybe that's why we're doing many different things. <laughs> but, you know, that whole, a whole notion of, oh, there's one there, like that tokenization, right, of, of who we are. Um, and then everybody's like, oh, no, it's not, you know, our own people are saying it's not that bad because they're, you know, afraid to, to deal with the, the white supremacy that they got to deal with being the only ones in, in the agency. So, yeah, it, it's, it, it needs to be, um, it's uncomfortable when you're talking about violence, but guess what? It's uncomfortable to experience it. Huh? It is uncomfortable right. to experience it. Hello. Okay. So there you go. Now you're hitting on another key point for me, Yeah. which is, um, in my, like in my experiences and what I've seen happen over and over again within organizations, which yeah. is a mistake is when the issue of racism is raised by someone in our communities, a black indigenous person, yeah. a person of color, when, when they bring forward an issue of racism that they've experienced, yeah. a lot of times what happens is administration becomes they recenter whiteness yes. by how are we going to educate this person? Oh, you know? and, and then you lose sight of the person that actually experienced the harm. So, so my advice is that so painful. You, you don't want to fall into that. Like yeah. you need to make sure that your policies, when an issue of racism is highlighted, well, first of all, I think you need anti-racism policies. Yeah. And when those issues are highlighted, the focus needs to be on how do you care Hello. for that experience the racism. Say it again. How do you care? So that's your employees yes. that are working with you. Yep. That is your staff. And the other thing to keep in mind as um, leaders of an organization. If you are white, it is so difficult as an employee that is Black, Indigenous, a person of color to come to you and bring forward that they experienced racism. Say it again, so sister. This is Say it again. Need people at all levels yeah. in leadership roles that have an anti-racism decolonial framework practice yeah. that they are functioning out of say it again that is i think that's one of the most important so, really i think that's one of the most important things that has been said is that piece you know 
because that, I mean, I could feel it. It's a visceral feeling I'm getting from not only my own experiences, but the the many of, of you know, other that, folks. That is what I needed when yeah. I went through yep. those experiences yeah. and, and they were not there. And so like, as, so then as a person experiencing that, yeah. we are left to fend for ourselves in all different areas. 100%. Right? So, and that's how so, the, the transgenerational trauma piece, which is comes transgenerational trauma comes from continued histories and herstories and their stories of violence. And when you would then experience racism in an organization or, or and other types of violence, but we'll, we'll, you know, with racism, this is a whole bunch together, um, anti-Black, uh, anti-Indigenous, that then re, you know, triggers all of the other experiences that you've had, which are, by the way, daily and every day. And it's almost, it's almost, um, uh, I mean, I say it's a miracle, but then I, I think about the, the ancestral pieces of, of how we land that we actually move to the next step on because it's such a it's such a violation. It's a blow. It's a extreme um, you know pain that happens on a daily basis. And then you go to your organization, your organization says, we don't value you and, and that we're going to train the person who violated you. They're not losing nothing. They're not disciplined. There's nothing happening because they are human and we want to, we think about them and we care about the person who violated you more than you who've been violated. That's right. Oh, and that is the dehumanization, the white supremacy. So there needs, so I think it's really important for um, organizations to really be honest about who they are and what their yes. values are. Yeah. So as you are like revamping your policies, there needs to be a standard. 100%. A standard because education is important and you want to help people to get there. Yeah. But you need to balance that out with like, what is the standard and what is the boundary you're not willing to go below? 100%. Because- because your employees and the people that you're serving deserve that. 100%. And it's similar to kind of the fight, you know, you know, uh, as, 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 as uh, Black feminists or Indigenous feminists, the fight for, you know, um, in terms of sexual harassment policies and all of these other things, which also are connected with race and, you know, all these end colonization, but the, the, the practice and implementation and the fight to actually, you know, get people uh, charged or get people dismissed when there's a, an act of violence in terms of sexism, um, you know, needs to be similar when it comes to racism, right? And I've even That's heard right. people from our own community say it's not, it wasn't sexism, it wasn't a, it was a racist. Violence is violence is violence. The same as homophobia and the same as, as other types of, um, you know, uh, 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 when people hate, bring forward their complaints around yes. sexual harassment, um, there's a believability there. Yes. That 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 guides the process. Hundred percent. That needs to be applied when it comes to racism. Hundred percent. And there's that's a, there's a history and a fight for sexual harassment, right? Policies and processes, and that's what we're that's what we're that's what we're continuing to do right now in terms of racism and uh, colonial violence. That's right. Um, you know, because it, it's racism and it's colonial violence. That's that's right. what we're experiencing. So, okay, so good. I'm glad we're hitting on these. Right? Yeah, man. And um, the other thing that I wanted to add that uh, 
folks can do to promote the anti-racism work in the workplace is making sure that they set aside time to have ongoing conversations yes. about anti-racism at the team. So like 100%. Um, intentional anti-racism meetings, like bi-monthly, bi uh, once a month review literature, uh, even book clubs, you know, 100%. things like that to discuss how this is applicable um, to your life personally, professionally. Um, I always so do I mean, actually check-ins. I do anti-oppression check-ins in all my meetings. If it's Ooh. weekly, if it's, yeah, it's something that um, as an answer so question. Tell me about that. Tell me about that. <laughs> it's a simple, it's a simple piece. It's like, you know, okay, we're doing an anti-oppression check-in. What an anti-oppression check-in is, first of all, talking about, you know, what's happening that's, that's, that's right, or that's working for you, what, where you are in your own journey in terms of what you're trying to learn and unlearn in terms of different types of oppression. And also, what is your experience been? Like, you know, have you experienced you know, um, different types of oppression within, you know, this week's work or with this, within this meeting or within this conference, like having an active check-in to not make it invisible, right? To, 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 to create, to not silence it, but to create a uh, vision and, um, and um, I don't know, vision and a process by, by, by understanding what it is. We do it in anti-oppression psychotherapy, a model that myself and um, Mercedes Umana look at. And it's something that we, we practice on a daily basis. Love it. it is something that I would really recommend for organizations who are really ready to do this work. And you know what? Ready to do this work doesn't mean that you're there or you're here or you know, you've arrived because nobody's arrived. Ready to do this work means that you don't want to harm folks and you actually want to create empowerment-centered hope, you know, wellness, love, whatever you want to call it. You don't want to harm folks. That, that's what ready would be. Ready doesn't mean anything more than that. Somebody said, well, we're not ready to do this. We're not, we're not ready. I'm not ready to be violated. I don't think you are, Jenny. I, I really want to stop the violence. So we're, we don't have that choice who's ready or ready. If you're not ready, still do it because it's a life and death for our community. Okay. So I think that we um, gave some really good, solid suggestions that, like, really, it's about doing the work. Yeah. Here's some ideas, right? Um, okay. Do you have anything else to add? Um, I think that just the last thing I think would I would say that you know decolonizing um, HIV practice and addressing white supremacy in your agency supports the reduction of HIV stigma and all other yeah. forms of stigma and violence in the lives of PHAs, including racism and other forms of oppression. It creates an environment where all PHAs can feel safer and not silence. It addresses the impact of transgenerational trauma, which it should. It allows for real holistic ways of healing to be developed and used. And it supports the full involvement of all PHAs in your agency and HIV sector from an inclusive, anti-racist, anti-oppression, intersectional, decolonizing lens and praxis. Mm. So if you're really wanting to do change work, you know, um, addressing white supremacy in your agency and dismantling it is, is the way to go. Right on, sister. As we close, I'd like to send special thanks to those who have continued to support this project behind the scenes and to the Ontario AIDS Network, who invited me to join and lend a small hand to this effort. I thank you immensely. To those of you who are listening and who will not only stand in solidarity, but do the work that is necessary, I say, welcome to the conversation. 
welcome to the work.